the Illuminati, Bohemian Grove, ancient aliens. Is it all conspiracy or is it part of the lore lodge? Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on Of Course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely Eastern Indiana, and today we are digging into all things conspiracy, legend, and lore, or is it? Let's uh, introduce our guest returning to the show, Aiden Mattis from the Lore Lodge. Welcome back to the Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. Good to have <laughs> you back. back on the show, my friend. Now, let's like go way back, right? It was yeah. like, what, 2018? I think, I think you 2017 were- 2017 is, is oh when we first got in contact, yeah. And you were part of Triggered Millennials, and you were on the show talking about gun control yeah. and, and standing up for that. Second Amendment rights. And fast forward, here we are, 2023. Uh, you're doing your own thing, and it's part of this you know, grand conspiracy legend niche. And dude, you are absolutely crushing it over on your YouTube channel the lore lodge so talk to us since you were last in the show what's been going on in the world of aiden mattis leading up to where you are today the lore lodge uh quite quite a weird series of events to be sure because considering where i hadn't even thought about trigger millennials in such a long time (laughs) um you know to think that in 2018 i was giving speeches about how bad gun control is you know in front of a courthouse and and talking to guys like you about it and now five years later i'm doing videos on the Bohemian Grove and the Illuminati and, and all that. Like it, oh, life it, is it's funny. not, it's not the kind of thing where I can't see the connection, but if you had told me five years ago where, where we'd both be, honestly, like it, oh man. And, you know, looking back at, you know, just where, starting to work for, you know, libertarian organizations back in 2017, being mentioned by Richard Spencer, because I asked him a question about uh, rock music, like where I was back then and versus like right now. Whew. <laughs> It's fun, right? And, and just, I mean, going back to where you started to where you are today, right? I mean, it, it's mm. incredible. I One of the things I love seeing in the greater liberty movement is just people having success, right? Just being able yeah. to do their own thing, kind of pave their own path and, and frankly, rock it, right? And you're not just mm-hmm. rocking it. You're crushing it. 200 plus K subscribers yep. over on YouTube. Your videos have gotten, in some cases, millions of views. I mean... Dude, that's absolutely incredible. And let's be real, right? You are able now with your audience to reach far more people and talk about the stuff that we are passionate about, but do Mm -hmm. so in kind of a covert, creative way without them being bombarded with libertarian talking points and having books tossed at them. So I want, if you could, just to kind of kick things off, let's talk about talking about some of these more controversial subjects to your audience and being able to sprinkle in some some of your politics here and there. What's been the feedback? And I know, obviously, you're talking to folks about more conspiracy-ladled things, yeah. which for us in the greater liberty movement, we're like, oh, that that's just yeah. the tip of the iceberg for us. So dig into that a little bit if you would. It's That has probably been one of my favorite things about the whole experience is that I, I can talk to people about the principles of liberty and individualism and freedom without making it a political argument, without making a political lecture. I can sit here and I can tell you the story about how Charles Manson was let loose by the prison system over and over again, given multiple suspended sentences, which it's supposed to be that if you get, if you get caught, then you've got to serve that sentence. 
and just allowed to run free because the government was looking for unstable individuals that they could then experiment on. He was almost certainly part of MK Ultra. So Charles Manson is the, the fault of the government. Things like, uh, wow. you know, I'm trying to think of another good example here, but the Bohemian Grove, obviously they're not doing themselves any favors by meeting in the Redwood Forests for two weeks every year, not letting anybody in and arresting people who try to get too close. Now, are they sacrificing a child effigy to an ancient Canaanite deity? No, they're sacrificing an adult effigy to a figure of Apollo. But you see how these little threads run through. But when you expose people to this and when you just honestly tell them what's going on, when you don't make it about politics or, or, or being conspiracy theory or anything, when you just look at it and go, yeah, so this is kind of a weird thing that's happening. And here's all of the facts about it. The thing is, very rarely can people come back to me and say, hey, you got this aspect wrong, right? or you exaggerated this, or that's a logical leap. Because what I've done is I've now distilled everything to the actual facts, and the fact, the truth is, the facts are kind of on the libertarian side. Like, it's not good that there's a bunch of people secretly giving speeches about nuclear defense in Redwood Grove in California. It's not good that there's a bunch of people meeting at Davos every year to make plans about the world economy, and none of us are allowed in. You know, all of that is is deeply unsettling, and if you just show it to people without the partisanship, they often see that it's deeply unsettling. Yep. And I've that's been awesome. <laughs> that has been fantastic. And the the responses I get are pretty consistently because most of my opinions are not Democrats bad or Republicans bad. Most of what I say is big government bad. <laughs> right. For the most part, I get a lot of people who agree with me. <laughs> Well, and you're not you're not going agree. from like conspiracy theory or listing off these mm -hmm. different things and then going into the Alex Jones of and that's why Hillary Clinton is a devil with yeah. blood coming off her eyes. Like you're you're just presenting things in a factual manner and kind of doing the whole like let let the audience decide for themselves and mm -hmm. just based on how you present the information, it it leads them towards a libertarian or a not trusting the government conclusion. Which mm -hmm. I mean, hey, in the libertarian camp, we're like, yeah, that's the point. I, I mean, I'm my my goal with the channel has never been to get anybody to vote a certain way or even to have a political impact. The primary purpose of the channel was entertaining information, like teach people about cool stuff in a way they'll enjoy. The fact that I can do that and at the same time impart some of these principles. And then we also were able to start uh, the Weird Bible podcast, which for me has been you know a huge, a huge thing because we now have an audience. I think our last episode went out earlier this month and it's already sitting around 30,000 views. Nice. For a, a two and a half hour podcast on YouTube. You know, we've been able to do that as well, which for me as a Christian has been huge. But the the way that all of this can kind of come together when you go into it without necessarily leading with the political angle has been really eye-opening. And I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, as you say with, with your your opinion that you know you can use the strategies of sales and marketing to win in the liberty movement i think the same can be said for entertainment yes uh, i'm so glad you went that route right because this is something we've been really focusing on here in in our conversations more more recently than not is being able to to have an influence in this cultural world and and to be able to get people onto not necessarily our side but at least to start having the, the dialogue to have the conversation mm -hmm. and just based on the nature of how polarized our politics have become more recently than not it makes it more difficult to enter into those political conversations because people instantly have the guards up right whereas yep. when you can start things off with you know hey check out this conspiracy theory and then as you're going through listing off the facts listing off the, the what actually is taking place what's happening people are then able to feel a little more interested and, and put their guard down right and now it opens 
them up to a different conversation where, yeah, we can maybe guide the conversation more towards a, a political lens. And, and that's opening the door for us to actually make some real influence versus just trying to be the kings and queens of being right, which I, I get exhausted with. You know, that's why we focus on not winning arguments, right? We're trying to change mm -hmm. hearts and minds through meeting people where they're at on those issues they care about. Now, with that being said, let's talk about some of the issues you're bringing up. And, and frankly, the audience is responding that they care about it as much as you do. What are some of the main things you've talked about in the show, maybe from a conspiracy standpoint or legend and lore standpoint that the audience just ate up? There's definitely a huge interest in what the government is hiding and not mm. necessarily not necessarily even the stuff you expect, like 9-11 being a, a false flag right. or something like that. We're talking about stuff like the Adam and Eve story, which okay. is by a guy named Chan Thomas. It's a document. It's called a book, but it's really not that long. It's only like 55 pages. Came out in 1965 and was almost immediately, uh, as the, the tradition goes, almost immediately pulled from print because like it, to get an original copy of this, you have to shell out like 12, 1200 bucks um, wow. on the low end. <laughs> now the document itself is complete nonsense. Everything in it is complete BS. It is talking about how every 6,000 or so years, the earth's uh, magnetic poles flip and this causes the, uh, layer beneath the crust to liquefy, which allows the crust to slide over the mantle of the earth and reposition itself. And that's what causes these, these cataclysms that show up in stories like Noah's Ark. Mm. Now that definitively does not happen. We know that now in 1965, it was more up in the air, but now we're, we know for a fact how magnetic pole shifts actually affect everything, or at least we have well put together theories about it, but the CIA censored it. And the result of that, that was suddenly this went from being a document that probably would have just been, you know, a few conspiracy theorists read and nobody else ever again. Instead, once that was well-known information around, I think, 2013, it was released. Uh, it was a sanitized copy was released. And the sanitized copy appears to just be the complete copy. Mm -hmm. There's there's nothing really taken out of it from what I could tell because there's a 1993 edition as well. And I read that thing all the way through. What the CIA did by pulling this from the print was cause everybody to think that Chan Thomas was actually onto something. Now, what was probably going on is that Chan Thomas in 1966 took a job working for McDonnell Douglas for a project called Boys in the Back Room led by Robert Wood. Robert Woods, sorry. That was an Air Force contracting gig. So what probably happened is Chan Thomas, who is an electrical engineer, puts out this rambling 55-page document claiming that every 6,000 years, the Earth's crust basically fractures and all life on Earth resets to its most basic form of, you know, whatever is currently on the planet. It goes from that, you know, that to, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have this guy openly working for the government. If we're going to have this guy on the team, maybe this work shouldn't be out there so nobody thinks that the Air Force is entertaining nonsense conspiracy theories. That's probably why the document was pulled. Because the 1993 edition was never censored. And it's identical. So everybody, everybody will say there's a 284-page original copy. There isn't. There's not a 284-page original copy. There never was. That's a number somebody pulled out of thin air. But people ate that one up, not because it was a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true. It was because it was a conspiracy theory that only ever existed because the government decided to turn it into one. Yep. And so when you look at that, people are like, maybe the CIA can't totally be trusted. Maybe they don't make the best decisions. 
And then we look at Bohemian Grove and what do we get? Well, one of the guys who went there was a German, a West German chancellor by the name of Helmut Schmidt. And when he went, he said that what he found was very interesting. He said that it was a sort of intellectual political class that had formed people who never actually run for office. I'm paraphrasing, but this is a near quote. He said there is a class of intellectual politicians who never actually run for office, but work through corporations and the elected officials to whom they are connected to keep a consistent governing system going. So basically to keep a, a, a through line from elected politician to elected politician, there are people behind the scenes actually pulling the strings. And then there's the people who are basically actors in the public eye, mm -hmm. the politicians. This is a West German chancellor visiting the Bohemian Grove in the 1980s saying this. He then goes on to say that there is a set of institutions where these people work when they're not in office. And then they go back when in office and do whatever those institutions want. And all of this is arranged at the Bohemian Grove, at least as far as the Republican side of things goes. Now, of course, a, an identical thing probably exists for the Democrats. You might call it Davos, but it's the point is, this is an observation right. from a foreigner who came in. I wasn't sitting there saying, well, in reality, guys, there's actually one group of shadowy people behind the scenes who are controlling everything. What I did, what I said, hey, this foreign guy came in here and said, it looks like there's a shadowy cabal of people running all the organizations, and he had no stake in any of it. He didn't care. It wasn't his problem. Um, so I can expose that information of somebody making that observation without it being political. I didn't say Republicans or Democrats are bad or good here. I didn't say all of this is bad, vote libertarian. I said, this German guy said this was weird. And everyone else goes in the comments, that is kind of weird. Like, it's all you have to do is, is, is kind of present the conspiracy theory, trim off all of the fat, all the stuff that really is conjecture. And what's left is almost always still weird. Yep. Well, and this kind of goes to uh, another uh, German guy. Uh, is he German? Klaus Schwab? Well, I know German. his dad was German or, or worked for... Uh, he's either German or Swiss by nationality, but his dad was a uh, contractor for the Nazi party who worked in Switzerland and was pretty high up and very well paid. Uh, he, he was a Nazi contractor because he wanted to be a Nazi contractor. Well, in unrelated news, folks, you want to get your now that's what you call tyranny shirt. For, uh, that's our Klaus Schwab shirt for the video listener. They can see this here on the, the screen for our audio listener. You got to go to BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash shop. Grab your copy because, yeah, I mean, everybody kind of saw this over the past few years here, Aiden. Like the WEF has come out of seemingly nowhere, right? They've, they've kind of been mm -hmm. around. They've, they've rebranded over the past, what, decade or so into yeah. the, you know, what they are today. And all of a sudden when COVID hit, they just became so much more prominent and mm -hmm. leading the charge was the Klaus Schwab, the, the, the head figure there for that entity. Talk to us about the WEF and some of the conspiracy there in the background. Sure. So the World Economic Forum, as as it portrays itself, is just a, a nonprofit, nonpartisan group of business leaders and politicians from around the planet who go and they meet up once a year at Davos and they discuss how to make life better for everybody. That, of course, is not at all what is going on there. They're not just explaining how to make life better for everybody. They're explaining how to make life the most efficient it can possibly be, the most utilitarian that it can possibly be, while retaining their own status and privilege. This is why uh, prostitution gigs skyrocket in Davos every year during this. Now, consider that in the United States and uh, in many European countries, prostitution is completely illegal, except in Vegas. Right. Um, <laughs> 
instead of Nevada for some reason. Um, however, all the global leaders who are keeping prostitution illegal go to Davos every year and hire a bunch of prostitutes. If you can extrapolate that behavior to everything else they do, because what they do at Davos is they go and they say, how do we make rules for everybody else that we ourselves don't have to follow? And they have tight security. They do not let journalists in unless they are the approved establishment media. You've got guys like uh, Jack Posobiec who go there and get confronted by police. Luke Rakowski is one who went up there and got yeah. in a lot of trouble all the time. So I think, I don't know if Jones has ever been there. I don't pay, I haven't paid too much attention to Alex Jones. Luke, Luke Rakowski and Tim Poole have been more the guys that I, are more my age. Um, still 10 years older than me, but more people I've been accustomed to. Um, but so yeah, Davos every year, you basically get a bunch of people who get together and they come up with plans that will make your life worse. Absolutely make your life worse. Might make somebody else who's poorer than you somewhere else's life better at your expense, but never at their expense. It's never something that harms them. And I think the reason that they kind of shot to the forefront was that when COVID happened, there had already been the whole great reset thing floating around for a little bit. Mm -hmm. They published a document calling COVID-19 the Great Reset yep. and basically admitted that this was a prime opportunity to then change the entire structure of global capitalism. Now, of course, when they say global capitalism, what they actually mean is fascism, but that's that doesn't matter. I, I think it's stupid when people call these guys communists because they're not. They're clearly corporatists. Um, you know, it's, this is all about the union of corporation and government. It's fascism. Um, but they're global fascists, essentially. They have dropped the nationalism aspect and made it about their status and their power. And they're not hiding it anymore. You look on their website and it's got, it's 2030, I own nothing and I'm happy. COVID-19, the Great Reset, 15-minute mm -hmm. uh, cities, all these different things that are basically, how can we make your life as pocketed and centralized and controllable as possible without you in immediately realizing that it sucks? Like, because obviously if they introduce, you know, social credit system and if you travel outside of 15 minutes in your city, your bus fare jumps up by, you know, 50% or something like that. They can't just slap you with that. They've got to start by, by sowing the seed. Okay, well, anybody who was questioning the vaccine is a bad person. They've yeah. got to be panned. They've got to be fired. Now, I got two shots of it. I got the first two shots of the Pfizer vaccine. I wish I hadn't, but I, I did because I had to travel to Europe. I didn't have a choice. Um, after that, I started looking around going, hmm, everyone I know who got both of these shots is still getting COVID. They're all still getting sick. Uh, it seems like the effectiveness has gone from being 96% to 90% to 80-something percent to 72%. And now we all know that at no point did the COVID vaccine ever actually prevent transmission, and nobody can sue Pfizer for it. And yep. who do you think put that system together? It was a bunch of people in Davos. <laughs> right. Jeez. Oh, man. Um, so, I, I mean, this paints a picture of, it feels sometimes a little overwhelming. Like, what can we do to control this? How, how can we, your average person, actually have an impact? And I guess, you know, based on us going through this conversation today, it's by talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, sunlight on this this, this issue. That's, like, the, the best thing we can do. Am I on the right path there? What's been your experience? Yeah, in my experience, when it comes to this kind of thing, I, I have found that once people trust you, once they trust you as a source of information, mm -hmm. they are far less likely to immediately have those walls go up when they hear something that they don't immediately agree with. So if I have somebody who follows me and they're, you know, they voted for, let's say, Clinton, they say they're my age and they voted for Clinton and they voted for Biden and they, you know, they're 
BLM. They think that Antifa is a, a movement, not an actual organization, all of that. I have those people who watch my channel, mm -hmm. who, who I don't, I don't dislike them as people. They don't dislike me as a person. We disagree on some political points, but because they trust me as a source of information, when I say something about the World Economic Forum, I've noticed that they're they're more willing to entertain it. And they're more willing to have a discussion. Yep. They might not agree with me in the end, but they're not going to immediately throw up the walls and get on the defensive and take political sides and get all tribal. If we talk to people and if we actually create a culture where entertainment is not politics, we can have politics and entertainment. The problem has become that one side of the aisle contain, controls all of the entertainment and they just keep shoving the exact same narrative down everyone's throat. And if you agree with it, great. If not, you don't. And what we're seeing is Hollywood is stagnating. Yep. It's getting really bad. They're having to remake everything. Nobody really likes them. Basically, if you ask anyone what they think of California, they all agree it's a, a dumpster fire <laughs> of a place, even, even though it has the sixth largest GDP in the world. It's still considered a dumpster fire in a, a failing state. Hollywood is stagnating. Everyone's talking about a writer's strike. They're not writing anything good anyway. Yo. Who cares? So, and I've experienced this as a, a screenwriter. Like, I've written a few very new movies. Like, not stuff that's been tried and, and done over and over again. Stuff that I showed to producers, stuff that I showed to managers who liked it and could not sell it. Wow. Because Hollywood doesn't want to take a risk. So... What's kind of happening, what I'm seeing is that a lot of people who are storytellers, who are creative types, who are entertainers are moving over to YouTube, realizing not only can they get, have a lot more freedom, but also they make a lot more money. Yep. So why not move over and do that? Why not set yourself up? And then when somebody does ask you your opinion on something, because you haven't made it something about your personality, when someone comes and says, okay, well, what do you think about this? And you answer them honestly, they take you at your word and they think about what you said, not just what they were told to think about people who think what you do. When you talk about the the entities behind the scenes kind of controlling specifically in Hollywood, right? Like being able to control what the narratives that they see being promoted are. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, one thing that we talked about before we hit record was Graham Hancock and, and the yep. uh, ancient apocalypse stories, right? Talk to us about how they have gone out of their way to try and destroy this man, despite mm -hmm. him just you know having a conversation about the ancient apocalypse. Yep. So Graham Hancock, to give everybody the, the cliff notes here, he started writing about the ancient world and lost civilizations and all that in 1994 he published a book called fingerprints of the gods which kind of argued that there had been and here's the interesting thing about this it actually goes back to all the chan thomas stuff and charles hapgood and all that at this time in the early 90s he believed in crustal displacement theory which was that idea that the earth's polar uh polar fields can weaken and that will allow the man the crust to slip on the mantle mm -hmm. rearranging the continents and all of that he no longer believes that because in 2007 it was proven that there was an impact in around 12,800 years ago that caused the entire planet to go into a deep freeze. So it had been getting warmer. We were coming out of the ice age. Comet or asteroid impact, I think it was a comet, um, basically plunged us deeper into the ice age. And then that was met with a pretty sudden reversal where it got very warm very fast. And we got 130 meters of sea level rise in a couple thousand years. Um, and during the melt, during Meltwater Pulse 1B, which is probably the great flood of mythology, we had a sea level rise of, I want to say, uh, 60 some meters in a thousand years, but wow. 25 of those meters occurred in just a century, which is about 25 centimeters per year, 
which would be catastrophic. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't recognize that necessarily. But, but when you think about what you hear in the story of Noah's Ark, 40 days and 40 nights, and you look at 25 centimeters per year, right? when you get that story, you know, 8,000 years later, maybe it's become, you know, sim symbolism and everything has been warped in. 40 days and 40 nights is probably that first little period where there was 25 meters of sea level rise in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Perhaps even there were, in fact, 40 days and 40 nights where it really did just hit where there were tidal waves and things, but we don't know for certain mm -hmm. what this looked like. We just know that it happened. So Graham has presented that now and that there was a civilization during the Ice Age that was wiped out by one of these two events. I, I think that it was probably the latter event that's that's the flood, um, but he believes that it was wiped out by one of those two, two events. And in the 1994 version, he cites a couple of people who are then citing Spanish explorers from the 16th century who say that the gods of the Native Americans, the Mesoamericans and the Inca and all of these people, are depicted as white. Now, what's, what's really said is that one of them, uh, Veracocha, looks like St. Thomas. Now, maybe somebody was making a mistake here and thinking that they meant St. Thomas Aquinas. It seems more likely that they meant St. Thomas the Apostle, mm. who would have been darker skinned, mm. Jewish, all yep. of that. He was a he was a Judean Jew. So they may have meant that. But in any case, the idea that these people were white came from those scholars. It wasn't Graham's personal opinion. And over time, he has left that part behind. I don't know that I've ever heard him directly address why, but it seems like he left it behind because he's realized, okay, that's probably incorrect. This is stuff that was said before we had actually translated Mayan into something readable. Mm -hmm. So as we've learned more, his opinions have changed, which is how you're supposed to do history and science and all of these things. When he came out with Ancient Apocalypse, which was basically a distillation of everything he'd said on the Joe Rogan podcast over the course of 10 years, um, the immediate reaction from the archaeological community was not, here's everything Graham says and here's why he's wrong. Now, there's a guy who I am friends with, uh, Mini Minuteman. His name is Milo Rossi. He's also a YouTuber. He has completely, he's done like eight episodes on why Graham Hancock's full of shit <laughs> on YouTube. He even came on my show and we had a discussion about Graham Hancock's theories and where we agree and disagree. That's two YouTubers with bachelor's degrees. The PhD archaeologists wrote to Salon and were like, this guy's a white supremacist. Don't listen to anything he says. Why is he a white supremacist? Oh, well, you know, back in 1994, his book included the suggestion that these gods, these ancient people from this ancient civilization may have been white. And I'm like, and that is your white supremacy? Jeez. No, it's not white supremacy. You're trying to grab the first thing you can find to discredit somebody so that you don't have to address his newer work, which actually does make some points you can't refute. Mm -hmm. And so that's where things have been edited out because they want to attack 1994 Graham Hancock. It's really hard to attack post-2007 Graham Hancock because at post-2007, he's got a lot more science backing him up. Back then, maybe not. And that's why the second edition of Fingerprints of the Gods that came out in the 2000s is different. Aiden, I'm not saying I agree with the guy, but I, I think he's wrong on a few major points, but I'm not going to call him a racist. Right. And I have a few follow-up questions, not so much yeah. the Graham Hancock, but something that we've heard throughout the episode. I know we're getting hard-pressed for time here, so... Oh, no, you're fine. One of the things that you brought up, and I just want to hear kind of your your perspective now that you've you've been spending more time in this world, and bo bridging both the world of Christianity, the Bible, and 
what, what you, you know, the conspiracy theories, the, the, the ancient apocalypse stories. Do you notice that there's there's a lot of similarities, a lot of correlations that oh, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they're like parallel to each other, but they're they're maybe not saying the same thing, but rhyming something like that? Yeah, it's in my opinion, it is unequivocal mm. that there was some event back in time that we all experienced worldwide. Probably, probably, like I said, Meltwater Pulse 1B 11,600 years ago. I, th- there is simply no way that all of these stories have the similarities they do without that occurring. There's this, uh, the, the, the constant argument I've heard, excuse me, is that archaeologists have said, you know what? And anthropologists, people lived by rivers, rivers flood. That's why we have flood stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a, there's a floodplain that's, I think, uh, about 400 miles by 100 miles in um in mesopotamia and a lot of people said oh well this is the flood from gilgamesh this is utnapishtim's flood well that doesn't explain why the jews have one that doesn't explain why the greeks have one that doesn't explain why the norse have one doesn't explain why the mesoamericans have one why the native americans have one why the south americans have one why the polynesians have one what does explain that is a period of very rapid sea level rise 11,600 years ago which gives us just enough time for that to develop into the story that it became. Right. It makes no sense that the ancient Sumerians would describe what was very obviously to them a localized flood as a global one. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. They, they had writing 4,000 years ago. I think they actually had writing 6,000 years ago and that we had the first literature 4,000 years ago. Um, you start to see these different stories also pop up and a lot of people have suggested, well, maybe it's all because of Hellenism. Maybe it's the, the fact that the, Babylon, the, the Jews went to Egypt and they picked up some Egyptian mythology. And then they went back to Canaan and got conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And they went to Babylon and picked up some Babylonian mythology. And then the Persians conquered it and they picked up some Persian mythology. And the, Hel- the Greeks conquered it and they got some Hellenistic mythology. But what we're finding is evidence further and further back that the Jews believed what they believed before they got, at the very least, when they left Egypt. Mm-hmm. There was a, a lead tablet found last year on Mount Ebal in Israel, which in the Bible, I think it's the book of Joshua, Joshua is told to put a curse on Mount Ebal, and it appears he quite physically put a curse on Mount Ebal. We found the little lead tablet. It says, you are cursed by Yahweh. Yahweh curse you. (laughs) We have found where it came from. It is lead from Greece, which means it was not local. It was imported. It was part of the Bronze Age trade. We also know that it cannot be a forgery because of the characteristics of the metal and the weathering. It can't have been put there recently. It must be old, and there's such a low likelihood that anybody, prior to knowing where the lead should have come from, went all the way to Greece to get the lead, forged this, and then managed to fold and seal it just to throw it into a rubble pile, hoping somebody might find it. And what we're finding is, further and further back in time, more and more of these stories that truly do not seem to have developed via syncretism, via exchange, but rather independently in different locations. The flood is obviously the biggest one. Probably the next one would be the uh, the, the Watchers and the Nephilim of Genesis 6. Of course, I'm Christian. I grew up Christian. I'm coming from a Christian background. But you can see these kinds of things. Uh, for example, the, the, the account in Enoch, which is apocryphal, but it expands on the account in Genesis. And it says that the Watchers came down, they were appointed by God to watch over humanity. They came down, they made a pact on Mount Hermon, and then they took human wives, and they presented themselves as gods, and their children were giants who reigned as great, you know, these great kings, 
and were, you know, in uh, Great Kings is actually a, a nice way to put it. In some cases, in Enoch specifically, they fornicate with animals and their cannibals and all these ridiculous things. Enoch, the earliest we think it could have been was around 300. It probably comes from an older oral tradition that was eventually written down, but it's less reliable than the rest of the stories of the Bible. That's why it's apocryphal. Uh, so Enoch says that. Well, what does that sound like to you? Because that's that's then you get these demigods and these right. godlike figures on Earth, as well as these these super powerful divine beings. Well, the solution to that is that God floods the entire planet and kills almost all life on Earth. We also see that with the Jotnar and the Aesir in Norse mythology with Ragnarok, which starts with a fire encompassing the planet and then it being washed away by a great flood. Well, what does an asteroid impact that hits Greenland look like? Fire that covers the entire northern world, followed by a great flood. And then if you look down to the Mesoamericans, what do they have? Well, uh, the Aztecs had a story about giants who escaped a great flood by going and hiding in the caves and then coming out and teaching early man how to survive. Hmm. There's all these stories from all over the place that say essentially not quite the exact same thing, but similar enough. And we get stories about giants and demigods and gods ruling over us. And a lot of the time, these are one of these gods does the wrong thing with the humans. And then there's a flood. Mankind becomes wicked. Mankind becomes slothful and, and you know, violent and gets wiped out because they did the wrong thing. It appears over and over and over again in communities and cultures that had no contact with each other when these stories developed. The Norse story of Ragnarok absolutely was not known to the people of Mesopotamia. Absolutely was not known to the people of Mesoamerica. So the fact that they've got similar stories suggests something actually happened, mm -hmm. especially given the scale. Everybody wants to reduce it to just a flood. These stories are not just a flood. They are never just a flood. It is always so much more than that. Aiden, we're uh, getting hard pressed for time here. So I want to, so usually what we do is we do a final sure. thought segment where I'll give my commentary and then I'll ask you to give a commentary. But I thought this would be more fun. If you could give me your favorite conspiracy theory and give me the most bullshit conspiracy theory that you know of. Ooh. Um, m most, most bullshit is definitely crustal displacement. That is by far, by far the worst one I've ever seen. It's, it's one that every single point of it can actually be accounted for mm. with modern science. There is absolutely nothing about it that is correct. Even, even down to the stuff that is, that they do suggest is correct, like uh, micronovas that spew, you know, coronal matter towards Earth and screw with the magnetic field or something like that, that if one of those hit us mm -hmm. during, they suggest that if one of those hit us while the Earth was going through one of these pole shifts, it would cause a whole bunch of problems. But what it would really cause is basically, you know, you and I live ar around, you know, like the, the mid-Atlantic uh, latitude. It, we would be able to see the Northern Lights. That's about what would happen. It would probably mess with our cell phone connections. Internet would get a little wonky. We might have some blackouts. But it's not going to cause the Earth's crust to go whoosh. <laughs> it's not going to do that. We know that for a fact. And if you even think about the possibility of that happening... Half of the stuff they talk about is like, well, a 35,000-year-old mammoth seems to have been suddenly shoved off a cliff, implying a massive gust of wind or something. It's mm -hmm. like, well, if that happened 35,000 years ago, shouldn't all the mammoths be dead? Right. Shouldn't they have not been around 11,000 years ago? Shouldn't they have not survived until 4,000 years ago on an island in Alaska? Like, this makes no sense. 
also, you know, if you go back and you say the last time this happened was 11,600 years ago, you can make an argument at least. You cannot say the last one was 6,500 years ago like they do. That just, you cannot do that. It, it makes no sense. It's impossible. We have physical structures that were built before that that are here. The one that I would say is my favorite, on the other hand, is probably... Um, probably the idea that the Illuminati managed to reform after being disbanded and exiled in 17, I want to say 87, and were responsible for the French Revolution and then infiltrated and basically took over French Freemasonry. Hmm. That's one of the ones that I find to be the most interesting because it's the most plausible and it would have far-reaching consequences for the world as a whole. Now, I'm a, full disclosure, I am a Freemason. Full disclosure, we don't like them. <laughs> we don't like the Illuminati. We kind of look at the French Freemasons and we're like, you guys don't have to believe in God. You let women in. Like, there's there's nothing about you that's Masonic aside from the rituals. Like, you guys, you guys don't do the same stuff as us at all. And when you look at the things about the French Freemasonry that don't quite fit with other Freemasonry and you look back at how the Illuminati marketed themselves, it kind of it works. But this would be such a small group of people with such a low profile that proving that happened is essentially impossible. Mm -hmm. You would have to find like personal notes right. written between individuals planning these things and coordinating these things. But if it were to have happened, then you see something very interesting, which is a sort of uh, this continuation of the Illuminati that may have existed in France and then over in the United States and in England you have the classical liberal Freemasonry. And you can kind of see, looking at the way that French democracy developed and how different it was from English and American Freemasons, or free, ah, not Freemasons, from democracy, mm -hmm. you can kind of see how that, that kind of matches up. And when you look at what the Illuminati stood for, abolition of religion, abolition of government, look at France. <laughs> Does France seem like it's the most Catholic place on earth anymore? <laughs> Not really, no. They're still they're still Catholic, but this is a country where people are no, where it's expected that upper class men will have mistresses. Wow, like it's not the place that it should have been if it had the heavy Freemasonry influence that early America and early England had. Well, I think uh, we got to put a bow here on this episode, Aiden. We could keep going on. I love this yeah. stuff. Um, but folks, if you're- I mean, like, I do this if you're, for an hour and a half every week. So. I was going to say, like, if, if folks, you're you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, I need to know more. I want more of the conspiracy theories. Well, I'm going to do you a favor. Head to your show notes. Click the link. It'll bring you to the Lore Lodge. You can dig into, like, how many episodes you have now, Aiden? Oh, God. I think this weekend is our 93rd or 94th episode of the Lore Lodge official podcast. And we've got almost as many sit down recorded, you know, me in front of a camera edited episodes. And then we also, I Twitch stream three nights a week with Friday being conspiracy night. So, so we Friday got nights oodles, at 7 oodles of yeah. content you can go yeah. through and dig through folks. And and yeah, I work the, hard. <laughs> I was going to say you're, you're working hard and what you're doing, man, is you're helping people see things. And once they see it, they can't unsee it. We talk about that in sales. Sure. You're doing it in the world of not just lore and conspiracy theories, but you're planting the seeds there for the political end as well. We're just, we're going to tell them and save that for later. It's fine. They don't have to know about that right now. <laughs> yep. But dude, what you're doing is is great stuff. I cannot 
endorse the the lore lodge enough and to my audience please go ahead uh give aiden some love follow him there over on youtube and uh please do me a favor if you do go ahead and subscribe to the lore lodge reach out to aiden and let him know you heard him here on the brian yeah, nichols show yes that would be uh that'd be great but other yeah, than that com- my comment friend, let me know where you came from yeah that too <laughs> um do us a favor where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media they want to continue the conversation yeah, so the easiest way to find me is the Lore Lodge. That's on YouTube. That is, uh, it's a verified profile. Two hundred ten thousand subscribers as of today. That's that's the easy one. That's where the most of my content is. But you can also find me under the Lore Lodge on Instagram and TikTok, or uh, the Aiden Mattis on Instagram and TikTok as well. And that's that's basically everywhere that I am right now. Perfect. And Patreon. But all right. Perfect, my man. We'll include all those links, by the way, in the show notes. Thank so you. everybody can go ahead, find them right there uh, on their podcast catcher or wherever you consume today's uh, today's podcast slash oh, YouTube we, video. Really quick. Yeah. We do have the podcast on audio. Perfect. So you can get it on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of that. So now you if got something to listen, listen to when you got some windshield time driving to the office. <laughs> you got about, uh, what's that? Uh, 160 hours worth of content or something. That'll do <laughs> 180 it. 180 hours. <laughs> That'll do it. Well, we got 725, 26 episodes here in The Brian Nichols Show. So here's what you can do, folks. Go ahead, in between episodes of The Brian Nichols Show, make sure you toss in some Laura Lodge and uh, you get your daily fill of politics and conspiracy and lore. Why not? I mean, this is this is where the world's headed, right? We got to talk about what's actually happening and know where we came from. So uh, with that being said, Aiden, I, I have a feeling we're going to have you back on very, very soon to continue these fun conversations. And uh, with that being said, folks, if you got some value from today's episode, go ahead and give it a share. When you do, please tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook. And also, if you're joining us here on YouTube, we'll hit that subscribe button and little notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. And also, you can find us over on Sovereign and on Rumble, uh, just in case we ever get nuked here on the YouTubes. But with that being said, Aiden Manis, it's been a great conversation. And folks, thank you for joining us on today's episode. That being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Aiden Mattis of the Lore Lodge. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.